preview of what I was thinking about doing next. I would like for your feedback um, because we would be in this series for over a year. And so I want to make sure that you think that it would be something that would feed your soul. Um, I'm calling this series that I would like to do the greatest story ever. And what I would do is I would go through every book of the Bible, probably about one Sunday at a time. Some books of the Bible, I might take two Sundays. But I would go through um, every book of the Bible, 66 Sundays to 72 or so. And I would be looking at tying the themes together and the theme of the individual book of the Bible and how that fits the overall storyline of Scripture. And of course, with the effort towards making that very practical for our Christian lives. And so if you have thoughts on that, um, please send me an email or talk to me afterwards. That's where I'd like to go next. But I would just want to get a feel from you what your thoughts are on that. We have been going through the Gospel of Mark, and I called it um, Good News in Romans style. So when we talk about the gospel, we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospel means literally good news. And so it's the good news about Jesus Christ, the gospel according to Mark in this case. And so our, these gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... They give us portraits of Jesus. And from a different perspective each time. And as we look at these portraits, there's nothing better. And I think you'd agree with me. Than learning more about our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is precisely the, the mission of these first four books of our New Testament. And so what we've been doing with Mark's personality and his target audience which was the people in Rome Uh, best as we can tell he wrote this book to the people in Rome because he was in Rome and so the style he had was focused towards in a way that the the culture the Roman culture would appreciate how he wrote and the details he included and so we've been making our way through that we've been seeing how Jesus responded to people, how people responded to Jesus. And we've been learning more about Jesus and hopefully being encouraged and challenged ourselves. We haven't covered, um, I like to do verse by verse, but I didn't want to be in Mark for two years. And so um, I have skipped several paragraphs. If there's a paragraph that you notice that I skipped and you want to talk about it, of course I'd love to talk with you about it, please. Come, let's talk about God's Word together. So, how would you summarize the Christian life? Or how do you summarize the Christian life? And I suppose when we're done today, you might say, well, I think there's another way we could summarize it. But 
This is definitely one of the ways you can summarize the Christian life. And that is precisely <coughs> what Jesus basically, well, he's asked about, about it. And he, he is summarizing the Christian life for us. Katrina and I occasionally, as we are just evaluating life, where our lives are busy, there's sometimes we feel like failures, sometimes there's some things we feel a little more successful at. We, uh, we, we just talk about, well, well what, what does it take for us to be successful? What does it take for us to do what we're supposed to do? And a lot of times it comes down to being good parents and making sure that our, our kids know the Lord and they know what it means to live for the Lord. But in those conversations, it doesn't, it isn't always, you know, just real, just, we don't always get right to the point. We talk through all kinds of things in our life, trying to sort through things and evaluate things and where we feel like we're successful and where we're not. But this idea of trying to evaluate ourselves, trying to summarize, bring together and just bring to one main point or a couple main points of what we're supposed to be doing is an important part of our lives. And I think many of us will find that we do this perhaps from time to time as we're just thinking through things. Now, Katrina and I, our lives are very full and busy. And some of you, that's the same thing for you as well. Now, some of you have a much slower life. I think that today would especially apply to those who feel like their lives are full and busy. Um, I think this would be a reminder, especially for those of us at that point. However, there might be some of you who, even though life is slower, the, the point in the application for today really still will be helpful for you. Let's pray. (coughs) Thank you, Lord, for your word, that it stands strong and faithful, and that it's forever settled in heaven, and that we can rest in it. It is like your character. It is unchanging. It is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's instructive. It feeds our soul. And Lord Jesus, as we look at your words this morning about what is most important in life, this isn't rocket science, it isn't something that we don't already know, but it is something that often we struggle with. Spirit of God, I pray that you would engender humility in our hearts to receive this lesson and that we would reflect on it honestly. And Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So the context here in Mark chapter 12, one of the paragraphs I skipped, I considered covering it today, but I decided to skip it, was Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Jesus gets in an argument, basically, with a group called the Sadducees. (coughs) And... Um, The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, and so they posed what they felt like was a gotcha question to Jesus. 
about this question of Levite marriage and how this guy has, I think, what, seven wives on this life because his, the older brothers, other older brothers died and went all the way down to the seventh. So the Sadducees posed this gotcha question to Jesus. And he uh, um, basically quotes from the Old Testament and proves to them that there is a resurrection if they're going to believe their Old Testaments. And my application that I would have liked to share, so I will share it with you without giving you all the details, is that there is power. There is amazing help for anybody who is willing to dig into the scriptures. Because Jesus doesn't make some, you don't have to know Hebrew uh, to know, understand his point. It's right there in English. It's very obvious. And so as you read the scriptures and you are faithful and obedient as, in, as a Christian and follower of Christ to be in God's word, you will be able to learn the things like what Jesus taught and the point he made. And there are blessings for those who obediently study the scriptures. Even the Old Testament. So that this is the context. Jesus had just finished having somewhat of an argument or somewhat of an intense discussion with these Sadducees. And that brings us to today, verse 28. It says, <clears throat> And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. That's where I get the word argument that Jesus was having. Heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him. Here's this question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And so here again, Jesus, he's a, he was a controversial figure on the church scene. The church didn't exist yet, but let's just apply it to today. Jesus was a controversial figure along the church scene, and many church leaders were debating with him. And so we come here, and someone else hears that he's debating well and making good points. And so he asks him another really big question. And it seems, as we read later on, that he, this guy is somewhat sincere. Um, and he said, what is the greatest commandment? So point number one this morning is the best way to summarize the Christian life is through the greatest commandment. Is through the greatest commandment. And so let's look at verse 29 and let's see Jesus' answer to this guy. Verse 29, Mark 12, 29 says, Jesus answered, The most important is. And you're going to notice in your Bible there's a quotation mark. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love (coughs) the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Turn to Deuteronomy. We don't spend enough time in our Old Testaments. So one of the reasons I'm looking forward to this proposed series is we're going to spend some adequate time in the Old Testament. But turn to Deuteronomy in chapter 6. That's where Jesus is quoting from. And what Jesus quoted is what the Jews called the Shema. The Shema was like a creed, like in Christianity we have like the Apostles' Creed, and there's other creeds. Well, that is basically the idea behind this Shema, is that it was um, a special creed that Jews would quote all the time as a reminder to themselves. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. And I'm just going to read, the Shema is in the middle of this, but I wanted you to get the context as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Now this, I guess, let me pause again, remind you the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel have just finished up their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And they are on the edge of the land, they are getting ready to enter the land, and so God And his wisdom decided that the people of Israel needed a re-preaching of the law to to them to prepare their hearts for what comes next. And so Deuteronomy is like a, a group of sermons that was given to the people of Israel to prepare their hearts before they go into the promised land. So there's a lot of very core truths that are given in Deuteronomy for what we would call Christian living, in their case, or Israelite living. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules (coughs) that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, (coughs) that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, (coughs) and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the beginning of the Shema that Jesus quoted. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them 
when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You can turn over to, back over to Matthew 12. <clears throat> I had a quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. I'm not going to read the full quote to you for the sake of my voice. But again, I'll put my plug in for the Bible Knowledge Commentary. That's a great one for you to have on your shelf at home. It's not especially academic, um, but it, it will help you and aid you in your studies. I have one in my office if you want to take it home and, and use it. <clears throat> but the Bible Knowledge Commentary talks about the fact that there were 613 individual commandments of the Mosaic Law. And so there was a lot to the Mosaic Law. And to be able to powerfully, succinctly, clearly summarize all of the Mosaic Law that was given, that is a very important thing to be able to do. And that is what is happening here with the Lord Jesus right now. So here Jesus, he uncontroversially, I don't think people would debate what he said, at least the first part of what we've already looked at, what he said. They're not going to debate that. He pointed to the Shema. The Shema makes a statement about God, that he is God, he is one, he is Lord. And so with that, the fact that God is one, he is Lord, he is king, he is God, what does that mean for us? And that's the second half of the Shema. That what it means is, is that we are to love Him with our whole being. And it mentions components of our being. And it doesn't really mean to divide up our being. It's just taking all the components in their theological minds about who they are as a person. And is touching on each one of them and basically saying... Love God fully, completely, intensely with all of your being. As a concept, we understand that. But as a reality, that is something entirely different. As we talk about loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and with all of our strength, I wanted to look at 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 in verse 19. You're going to want to keep your finger in here because we're going to go back to Mark and then we're going to um, come back to First John in a few minutes. <clears throat> so First John chapter 4 and verse 19. As we talk about loving God with our whole being and all our strength, I think it's very important that we look at verse 19 here, says, We love because He first loved us. We have the capability for love, and we can love 
Because God loved us first. Love originates from God. So as we consider the fact that we are to love God intensely with all of our being, I don't want you to be in a position, which sometimes I I feel this way, I feel like I have to conjure up this love, and yet I don't do it. This idea of love, the spring, the fountainhead, comes from God himself. Very common verse, but I want us to look at it again anyways. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows or demonstrates his love for us. How do we know that God loves us? Well, here's an example. Here's, Here's an action he did. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, nothing good about us. Christ died for us. So the miracle of salvation gets us started on this path of love toward God. This is not, we do not conjure up love from within ourselves. The fountainhead of love comes from God himself. And It becomes vibrant through our relationship with him. So if we summarize the pursuit of the Christian life, it is our responding to God's love intensely in a love back to him. I remember when I went to college. I went to a Christian college, and so there's always lots of things in college <clears throat> but a Christian college usually has quite a bit, a few other things that they lay on you as well as concerns. And I remember being pressured by all these things that I now had to consider to spend my time on. Whether it was going to a special, what they called mission prayer band every night after supper and pray for missions across the world. Or whether it was going on what they called ex- extension Extension was where you went and did some, helped at a church or you helped um, somewhere in the community and served. Um, and so they would call that extension, I guess, extending out into the community or out into the churches. Then there was this, what they called societies, um, where there were you know, a group of people you get together once a week and then you sometimes do extracurricular things throughout the week. And you would have, you know, you'd have a president of your society. You'd have a secretary, a chorister, a someone who would give a Bible lesson. And then you guys would, would get together and do stuff. And so that was a whole other concern that we had to think about. And then there was dorm life and all that went on with dorm life. And that 
tended to take up some time as well. And then you were supposed to find a church. Because this is a Christian college, they expected you to find a church to be a part of and to spend time with them. And then, of course, there's your classes, the reason you're there, right, to, to get a degree. <clears throat> so how do you bring all that together? I remember it, it's a lot when you're a freshman to figure out how to bring your priorities together. And I think for many of us, that's the experience we can have in our Christian lives is there's all these priorities that are put on us, all these things that we're supposed to do, and how do we bring it all together? How do we evaluate it? How do we prioritize it? And as we consider the greatest commandment that the Lord Jesus gives for us, he, just like with the law, trying to bring all those commandments together and how to prioritize it all Jesus here gives us a, an organizing principle for our Christian lives, and that is to love him with all of our being. You can define everything in your Christian life, everything that someone else tells you you're supposed to be doing, or um, everything that you've always been told to do, or maybe there's community priorities or maybe there's political struggles all these things maybe there's family conflict or differences of opinion in the family you can bring it all together through this great greatest commandment and conceptually the fact of it is pretty obvious but it's not like you're going to flip the switch go home and say okay i'm going to love god with all my being Friends, it is a a lifelong process, but it is a lifelong process that we need to consciously decide we're going to do. And we are going to spend our time responding to God's love and reflecting that love back to him as a priority in our lives, a primary priority. Now, there is a temptation We've only covered half of this so far. There is a temptation here that all of us are going to struggle with. And sometimes we make an excuse here. And that's as we look at this next part of how we summarize the Christian life. So our second point this morning, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, is not isolated. Isolated to your relationship with God. The greatest commandment is not isolated to your relationship with God. Let's look back at Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to start back at the beginning at verse 28. Mark twelve twenty eight. And one of the scribes came up to came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, that's Jesus answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is here, 
O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But Jesus goes on. (coughs) Verse 31. And he makes a connection that is not directly made in the Old Testament. Jesus And Jesus can do this. He can make this connection. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this combination of loving God with all of our being intensely and loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to find that combination directly together in the Old Testament. Jesus connected these together himself upon his own authority. We don't have time to turn there this morning. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40 There's a statement at the end of that. It's the same passage, but Matthew adds another statement that Jesus said. He says, on this hang all the law and the prophets, or on these. On the love of God and on the love of your neighbor as yourself, hang all the law and the prophets. So if you want to summarize all the Old Testament law, all those commandments, all those things, it comes down to those two truths put together. Love God with all of your being intensely and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we're dealing with concepts you've probably heard your entire life. But familiarity does not mean that this getting woven into the fabric of your heart. And loving your neighbor as yourself is not natural. Now, there are some people who have, God gave them in his common grace, an extra kind disposition to everybody, towards everybody. That's just the way these people are. But for the majority of us, that's not where we are. You put sinners together, whether they're saved or not, you put them together And there's friction. I wish there wasn't. It's humbling the friction that can happen. Just even in my own home. But I've also heard some stories over the years. About between people and their neighbors. And some of the things that happen. A disposition. A heart. A genuine heart of love. Towards the people around you. To love them like you love yourself is amazingly hard. And so the temptation is to rationalize the lack of love we have towards our neighbor while at the same time claiming that we love God. And Jesus here is connecting these two in such a way 
that you can't separate them. Now, I've often mentioned this because of my own experience in life. There are relationships that you are not able to reconcile. But you are responsible based on this teaching to have a posture that would be ready to reconcile if you could. And you are to cultivate that heart. I'm going to have you write down this reference. We're not going to go back over to 1 John. I told you it might be shorter this morning, but I don't think I am. So I'm just going to give you the reference, and I encourage you to go read it. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 explicitly talks about this loving of your neighbor. And those of us who claim that we love our neighbor or love God but don't treat our neighbor lovingly, um, that's, not, that's not true. It's, it's false. And we have a problem with our relationship with God. Now, we've all had this experience. When we go to the mechanic for one thing, <clears throat> like three other things are found wrong with our car that need to be taken care of. And it's not you. I mean, there are mechanics that are dishonest. But many of them, that's just the nature of a car. Things are interconnected and you can't separate them out. So you might know about this one problem, but this one problem also is related to two or three other problems. I used to work on people's computers many years ago, and it was always frustrating because often the same type of thing would happen. I would have to go back to them. They would hire me to do this one thing on their computer, but there were two or three other things that needed to be taken care of as as well, and so the cost would go up for them. I hated that. We go more into the realm of people here. Um, we've, we've experienced lots of different situations as Katrina's had different students at school. And sometimes you can see the, she can see the bad behavior or the struggles or the odd behavior. And then she finds out some of the things that are happening at home. And all of a sudden it makes sense. And all this to illustrate <coughs> that our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor and how we conduct those relationships, they are connected. You can't isolate and separate them out. Your love towards God is weak and anemic and perhaps in a lull or perhaps you're in a state of rebellion or just a state of coldness of heart when you are justifying a wrong relationship with your neighbors. Whether it's your physical neighbor or the people at work, people in a family, when you are justifying relationship problems and you are not having the posture, the engagement of trying to love them as yourself, that is a reflection that you do not have a love for God as you should. Now, this this is, even though it's obvious, the basic concepts, it's very convicting as I reflected on it this week, even for myself, do I love God with all of my being? I don't know that I could say that. I want to be able to say that. 
But that's what's been going through my mind this week. Do I love God with all of my being intensely? I suppose that most of us would say no, if we're honest. And so my goal for myself and my goal for you is you could say, maybe not. I admit that. But God, I want to strive to get there. And then when it comes to our relationships with others, I want us not to make any excuses. It might be hard, and, and maybe you're going to struggle with it every day, whatever the struggle is. But don't make excuses. Don't justify yourself and your perspective. When we talk about loving your neighbors yourself, it's not about proving yourself as right. Or bringing glory to yourself. It's about loving them as you love yourself. As an outflow of your love from God. For God. Well I think I've said enough this morning. Take a few minutes and respond to the Lord.